Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Buddy. Just a quick shout out to The Wreck for hosting this podcast each week. The Wreck, way more than a bowling alley. We drop a new podcast every Friday morning with a new story that will impact someone. We hope that someone is you. I just want to say thank you again to all the listeners each week who take the time to hear the stories of our guests. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, give us a review, and share this podcast with your friends, family, and on your favorite social media platform. We want to get these messages out to the people and to impact the world one testimony at a time. And by the way, the uh, reviews, if, if you wouldn't mind just uh, giving us a review, we've got a few reviews on there. And more specifically, which podcast episode did you like best? This morning, I'm excited and grateful to introduce you to my friend and guest, Phil Heyer. Welcome, Phil. Hello. How you doing, man? Uh, good. So this morning started out for you at uh, 46 degrees and a cold plunge. Is that right? Uh, yes. Well, uh, you know, I start my day. We uh, we got a new addition to the home. Uh, we got two dapple dachshunds. Okay. And so they're eight months old. And that's no way. And that's uh, two of them. I got a brother and sister. Okay. So that's kind of changed the the dynamics of my mornings. Uh, uh, used to get up, go to the gym get up really early. It used to be four or five in the morning to somewhere in that time. I was doing that every day. And then these dogs are like children. Ah, you're starting over again. You, uh, thought, you thought you were empty nesters, but you're back to having little kids, but they're dogs. Yes, we are empty nesters. That's correct. Uh, everybody's uh, graduated, gone, married, kids. So anyway, so it's it's up and and, and Rip, our, our boy, just had a uh, you know, he just had surgery, so you know, we just had his testicles removed, and uh, and so we've had to deal with that for a week and a half. So that's a process, and he's oh, wow. hyperactive and crazy. Yeah. So yeah, take them out, put them on leash, walk the yard. You know, and typically I wake up anywhere between one to four in the morning, and uh, typically just to to go to the bathroom, and then uh, then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna walk downstairs and put my I put eight one gallon jugs in the ice bath. And uh, so when I do that, the dogs are downstairs in their kennel and they're going crazy. So I take, I first load the ice in the, the ice bath, take them out, do the rounds, put them back in their little kennel, and then I go back up and lay back down. And so, what time is that usually? Well, today was a little bit later. Today was five. Okay, but like yesterday was one. And wow! It just, it just, you know, whenever I wake up to, you know, when you wake up, you get up and you go do your thing. And but then I go lay back down. Now, uh, so. That's kind of been what's been going on for the last uh, seven months. Uh, okay. Well, we got them at uh, eight weeks, so that's uh, five months. We've had them for five months. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, and then, uh, and I did change the way that I, uh, I was doing the cold plunge before I used to jump in at first, and then I would go get dressed or take a shower and get dressed. So I found that that wasn't the, I wasn't getting the therapeutic uh, benefits of it. Okay. You, you yeah. need to, uh, you need to be hot before you're cold. Not cold before you're hot. Interesting. So if you're, you know, so it's now it's uh, go take a nice hot shower, get everything done. Then I immediately just, uh, I walk straight down on my shorts down to the cold plunge and I just step on in and I sit in there. Like today was 46 degrees for eight minutes up to my neck and, yeah. and close my eyes and meditate. Yeah. And breathe. And breathe. It's yeah, that's very, very important. Cool. So, Yeah. And uh, it's I've been doing it since May of this year, so it's uh, you know I've been listening to Joe Rogan talk about yeah. it for you know long time, and started doing some research on it, and uh, and took the plunge, and here yeah. I am. Dude, I love it. Yeah. 
Joe, he's kind of an all-in kind of guy, isn't he? Yes, he is. Cool. Hey, let me do a little introduction of you. This is what you sent me. Now, you and I have been friends from, I was trying to think, 2010, 2011? Yes. So just to uh, preface all this, you and I met 2010, 2011, just during and shortly after the crash. So you and I were both licking our wounds, and and uh, we met uh, because our daughters were in karate, uh, karate class with... Uh, Steel's Karate. Steel's Karate with Sensei John, right? That, that is about correct. Right? That is correct. So that's how we met. Well, this is this is really your story is that you're a coded child of deaf adults, so children of deaf adults. I'm a child of deaf adult, correct. Got it. And both parents were deaf. Yes. Uh, you're a multifaceted human being, a bit of a daredevil, happily married with three beautiful children and grandchildren. So how long have you and Tara been married? Since 2000. Okay, so 23 years and some change. Yes. Okay. June 17th. We'll get into how she puts up with you when we're... <laughs> or, or how our wives put up with us. How's that? Yes, yes. That's, that's probably the first I agree with that. Okay. You have three daughters. Yes. You got to marry two of them off this summer. Yes. That was heavy. I mean, within two months of each other. Yes. Uh, June 24th and August 5th. Okay. Within June... Um, oh, yeah. We got a break in July. Yeah, okay. So a month and a half or so. That's crazy. And now you have already two grandchildren and one uh, on the way? My oldest daughter, uh, I have two grandsons okay. from her and uh, I have a granddaughter. So I have three um, currently that are that are growing and uh, doing well. And then uh, we just found out that uh, right after my daughters got married, uh, both of them <laughs> got pregnant. They're both pregnant now. They're both pregnant, yes. That is so cool. And uh, Sierra is second trimester. Yeah. And Mariah is 13 weeks. Okay. That's exciting, man. And she just found out that when she broke national records on her 402 uh, deadlift and her squat at 372 and a bench press of 194, she was pregnant at that time. She's pretty tough. <laughs> she, did, she didn't know she was pregnant. Wow. But she broke national records while she was pregnant. National records. Where was nationals at? Uh, Las Vegas. Okay. That's a big deal. She's uh, tough, man. <laughs> she's like a Ronda Rousey tough. Like, Oh, she's tougher than Ronda Rousey. Tougher than Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey is a, uh, I mean, she's amazing. I mean, she's a world champ in judo, you know, uh, judo, not ju she did judo. Uh, but, you know, now she's more into uh, making money. But okay. It's just just different type of personality. Got it. Well, this is cool. Uh, when you were a very young man, uh, you believed that you would not live past 25 years old, and now it's been 26 years, and uh, you're still writing your story. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, so yeah, go back to you and I meeting 2010, 2011, and developing that relationship. Here's what I know about you. I'm just going to, I've got a lot to say that I know about you, so I'm just going to rattle off some stuff, if that's okay. Yes. It's all good. Um, but I know you guys, you and Tara have been married for a long time. Yeah, three beautiful daughters and obviously some awesome grandkids. Yes. Uh, already born in, a couple on the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that I didn't know about, so that was cool. Two daughters got married. So this is kind of what I say about you. You're the kind of guy when you decide to do something, you kind of go all in. That and is correct. So things I know about you, it was weightlifting, karate, doing your job as a lineman. Uh, you got a few tattoos. Yes. How many tattoos you get now? Uh, one, two, three, four, 
Uh, I haven't gone crazy on it, but I mean, I have yeah. some, uh, yeah. yeah. How many more are you going to get? Have a thought about it. I mean, I do want to finish my right side of my chest and yeah, yeah. because I have a full sleeve, yeah. you know, from my bicep all the way up to my chest, covers my pec and comes all down my neck. So yeah. I thought I'd build something on the other side. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, so yeah, weightlifting, karate, lineman, tattoos, real estate agent for? 2012. 2012. So 11 years. And you've done amazing. No, uh, no. 2012 to, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Correct. Uh, you, you've been doing cold plunging for, since what you said, May? May. Okay. And then really the list goes on and on. Um, so here's, I want to dive in, but I think you've been successful in many things, but success doesn't come without its problems. So I want to hear maybe where'd you grow up? What was life like as with two deaf parents? Um, how'd that shape you into who you are today? So this kind of Give us maybe some of that journey. Well, I grew up in uh, Willets, California. So I was born in Ukiah, California, which is, we'll call it uh, two hours north of San Francisco on Highway 101. So uh, if people are looking for reference, so just follow San Francisco, 101, two hours north. You know, I'm a child of the 80s. I think the greatest time of all time. You know, no cell phones. Um, I had a rotary phone as a child. And, uh, you know, no computers and... uh, Northern California. So I grew up in a small town, which at the time was uh, a logging town. You know, this is Willits and uh, uh, a logging town. And then my father uh, worked for Rimco Hydraulics, which uh, had military contracts. And they did, um, they built, for example, the these massive 100 million pound or 100,000 pound shocks for the MX missiles and buildings. Um, that's one of the things, not, not for the MX missile, they did, they built stabilizations for them. They had a lot of military contracts, so they did a lot of interesting things like that, like that. Um, the, uh, and then my mom, uh, so yeah, he worked there again, you know, my life has been kind of a mirror image of my father in a sense of he worked many different things. I mean, again, my, my father was deaf, you know, so he was, he was born hearing, he could speak and talk, and at five years old, as he called it, he did a spinal tap, is what he remembers, and at five years old, he went deaf. Uh, they, and, and so, um, so if you looked at my father and talked to him, he would, um, he would be able to uh, have a great, you wouldn't know that he was deaf. He could walk in and have a great conversation with you, and you would understand him. And he was a master at reading lips. Hmm. So, um, anyways, I mean, he, you know, in Oakland, when they had the... Um, they had a, he was a tree faller, you know, in in the seventies, he was, um, he was a mechanic. Uh, I grew up when he worked at Rimco, he started at Rimco. Well, he walked in at Rimco back in the eighties, uh, seventies actually. And they looked at him again. Remember, this is a deaf mute man in the seventies and eighties. And, uh, from what I know, because I was born in 1972, uh, he walked into Rome Kai Dog, said, I want a job. And they laughed at him. They said, well, you go get a broom and sweep the parking lot. And my dad being who he is, and this is where I love this story because he goes, okay. So he goes, where's the broom at? So he says, well, go talk to so-and-so. He gets a broom. And this is a big parking lot. This is a big building, big uh, court, you know, big, uh, I mean, like look at, we're in the bowling alley right now. So mm-hmm. this is, this is probably seven bowling alleys big. Okay. He swept the parking lot. And the whole side of the parking lot. He was there a week sweeping and he went and got a wheelbarrow and rock and he says, where I put it all. So he swept for a week. You know, they thought he was gone. And then he walked back in and he goes, okay, I'm done. 
and they go, what do you mean you're done? They did it as a joke because, you know, in the 80s, 70s, actually, you know, um, it was a different time. Uh, you know, this is a man with disabilities. Uh, this is a deaf man. You know, you're, you're deaf and dumb is what they used to call my parents. Mm. That was tough for me growing up. Yeah. I got in a lot of fights because of that, because my friends would say, oh, or friend, or not, not even that, just people go, oh, your parents are deaf and dumb because that's what they were called. Yeah. So um, anyways, he walked back in and goes, hey, park. And they both of the managers walked out and they go, you did. So he got hired. And then he did, he started in the front and he worked all, basically it was in segments, started the, this building, was long and skinny, and he worked all the up to the top position, the back to the nuclear department. And again, this is a man that uh, didn't graduate from high school, has no college education, but uh, super, super intelligent man hmm. and did things that would uh, blow your mind. Um, so that's what he did, worked in there. My mom worked in hardwood B plant in a lumber mill. Mm-hmm. And my mom was 5'4", and my mom had me at 37 years old. So again, this is in the 70s, which it wow. wasn't normal for women to have children that late. And, uh, you know, I'm survived. I have four brothers and one sister. Um, they did not live with us. Um, You're the youngest all? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I am the youngest of four brothers and one sister. And... Uh, my dad's, uh, my dad wasn't a nice man. Well, just, you know, he was uh, kind of a prick and mean. And so all my, they were, my mom was married previously. So my four brothers and, and my sister were, they're like my half brother and sister. Okay. And so uh, they came into my life and I think I was, from what I know, I think they were there eight months. And this is when we lived on Magnolia Street in Willits. And then they, uh, they, um, basically went back to Dixon, California by Davis, Sacramento area, and that's where they were from, and went back to the grandparents and just left. And so I was kind of like all alone. And uh and my it was my my yeah, Fred was my, you know, biological father and my Ava was my biological mother. But the, you know, uh they were her children from her first husband. So uh, so and, Fred's only child, your dad was just you. No, that's it. No, Freddie, my oldest brother. No, not excuse me, not oldest brother. Freddie, my uh, Fred had a a, a child uh, with another woman, mm-hmm. and so he's another stepbrother. So I have okay. I have two different step or yeah families. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Never, never met her. Have no idea who she is. So, um, so anyways, uh, so my mom worked in a. Uh, hardwood bee plant and her job was to primarily because again you know it's you know what what do you do with a deaf woman in, in a sawmill right and so they they found a job for her because back then they would there was a machine that would cut the knots out of the two by two by fours and two by sixes she would get a whole unit a unit is those big giant you know you see them in those lumber mill they're long 16 18 feet long and here's a woman that's five four 140 pounds that could just grab these boards and pull them all day. And this is greenwood, so it's green yeah. boards. Yeah. And she'd pull them, chop out the knots. That was her job. And then she'd miter them. And the machine would miter it, and then she would send it, and then it would glue it together and make a new one without knots. This whole machine would do it. She was just pushing a foot and running this all day. And so, so that's what my mom did all the way up till. Uh, let's see. Because again, you know, she was 37 when I was born. Yeah, probably to her late fifties, and okay. then she then she was kind of retired and done. 
Okay. So, um, but, uh, so raised in Willits, went to school in Willits. Um, school was hard for me, uh, for a couple reasons. One, uh, neither one of my parents graduated from high school. Yep. Uh, didn't go to college. No, uh, my mom did later. We'll talk about that. Okay. Um, so school wasn't important for me or right. for, for my parents. So going to school was really hard. Uh, I would be called if you were to, to identify me now. Uh, you know, they call those kids ADHD, hyper. I was ADHD, hyper, hyper. <laughs> okay. Bouncing off the walls, really excited. You know, um, so school was really hard and I had no guidance from my parents. So all through the years, school was tough. Uh, I did graduate from high school, but it was it was brutal. Um, sports, I was not allowed to play sports. Really? Um, so I didn't get to play sports till my freshman year in high school. I played one year baseball, uh, like peewee league. Uh, and then after that, my dad said, never again, because I'm not going to be that parent that takes you around and takes you to the games. I don't have time for that. So all the way up till... Uh, my freshman year in high school, um, never got to play any sports, zero. Um, and my eighth grade year, I was working out in the gym and, and uh, at the high school because I wanted to play football. I had this dream of playing football. It was pretty important to me and uh, because I was a 49ers fan and a Raiders fan back yeah, in the yeah. 80s. You know, Steve Young and Jay Rice and all that. So uh, working out every day after uh, – I saw this guy working out at the football field every day. And this is a summertime bullet. So, you know, it was hundred degrees every day and he was out there and he was doing, he was training all by himself. And I'd go up to the fence and grab the fence and I'm eighth grade and I'd watch this guy. And, and then he looked over and he goes, Hey, I, you've been here for a week. Come here. And so I'm like, kind of like, who is this guy? And he's all ripped and buffed and just shredded and just sweating. And he goes, my name is Mark Fowl. And I'm like, hi, my name's Phil Hire. And he goes, I play for the, uh, the Hornets out of Sacramento. And I'm training, and it looks like uh, you have some interest. So he goes, instead of standing there, I want you to train with me. Dude. And he, I go, really? And he goes, I'll just, you just work with me. Just go alongside with me. Do what I do. I'm like, okay. So all summer, he taught me how to catch, how to cut, how to play football. Never played football in my life. Oh, I back up. I lived in a mobile home park, and there was an area where I played football with the guys. Yeah. So I was athletically gifted because I learned how to do that. You know, street football, but never played football per se. And I also ran that summer with him. I also ran a hill uh, up a mountain behind my house every day. So when I showed up to Hell Week, my first year in it playing sports, Hell Week was, uh, again, like you said earlier, when I go all out, I go all out. And uh, I showed up to Hell Week. Hell Week was a joke for me. I did it twice a day for a week. And I said, is this really what you do? And everybody else is puking and dying and all that. And, I was, and the coach is just like, who is this kid? Is Hell Week daily doubles? Yes. Okay. It was a complete joke for me because I was in this shape of, of, of this is, yeah. yeah, I was beyond what, uh, what the rest, everybody else would just show up, you know, and do them and get ready for football. Anyways, um, played football, uh, never came up to field, played JV, it was offense, defense, special teams, had a great time. The problem that I have with myself is, is I lose focus because of my attention deficit disorder, okay. call it, if you want to call it that, or just, you know, and if I don't have a strong guidance pushing me in a direction. So, I mean, I was to talk to the, uh, not the college, talk to the high school. It's like, oh, this kid's going to be something. This is a kid that out of nowhere never played football. He's dominating, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, I by the time I was a sophomore, I got a car and got into girls. Uh-oh. And uh, played my, jumped up to varsity, which I shouldn't have. I should have stayed at JV and just kind of lost interest and oh. fell out of it. And I was going a different direction. Yeah. So. Did you lose interest or just gain interest in a different area, which made you feel like you lost interest? You know, I, I don't know. I, having Mark Fowl push me, helped me because, you know, uh, you know, my dad being who he was, I mean, sure he was there. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, my, <laughs> my, my life is very, <laughs> we don't have enough time to talk about all the things, but it's, I mean, for example, um, I was, I wrote a letter to my mom when I was 12 years old, living at my sister's in Washington for the summer. And because my dad was mean to my mom and I, I was done with it. And uh, I wrote a letter to my mom. I said, you make a choice. Either divorce him or I'm not coming home. And so I had to make the decision for my mom. My mom never stood up for her, my other brothers or my sister. And she was in love with Fred, and which is my father. And uh, so she wrote me back. You know, again, you know, we didn't talk on the telephone. You had to write letters. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and she goes, okay, I'll do it. So from 12 years old through on, I was kind of just my mom and I. And so meeting Mark Fowl was that father presence that really pushed me in football. Yeah. But then when he was gone, um, then I just became a kid, from a single parent mom. And mm-hmm. I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't get in trouble or get arrested or anything. But, you know, I just, I, I, I need guidance. I need someone pushing me. And I didn't have it. So I fell out of sports and didn't do it. And, and uh, but... The blessing I got from my father was, is, uh, you know, the story I told you about pushing the broom. I, I love that story because, you know, mm-hmm. they, they did it as a joke and they actually went and slept in the parking lot. And, they, and that's how I am. You know, if you you told me, if I went to your office, you're like, well, go sweep the parking lot, I'd go do that. Yeah. Because you'd like that, you'd think I would just leave. That's an honor, man. That's... And, and I would do that. And then I'd come back saying, hey, it's done. And so I pretty much have done that my whole life. And I've always had the motto, you know, no matter what I did. It, I mean, I've worked at Taco Bell. I've worked at McDonald's. Um, uh, all the jobs I've ever had, I always did it to my fullest ability. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just who I've always been. Yeah, yeah. This is good. So, okay, so you graduated from high school, from Willis High School. No, no. <laughs> got this wild hair again. I I, uh, <laughs> I got a wild hair. I had a Volkswagen 1964 Volkswagen Bug. Tom Bodell, colleague of mine at high school, says, hey, let's go to Ukiah High. We're sophomores. How far away is Ukiah from? 20 miles. Okay. And we're like, okay. That, that'd be like going from Independence to Kaiser, going, hey, let's just switch schools because we can. Perfect. Okay. Why? I don't know. Let's just do it. So I went to Ukiah High my junior year. Talk about going from, uh, and it was uh, basically like a 2A school to a 4A school. Hmm. So big difference. And. I made it. I well, I graduated there. He lasted two months. Went back to Willits High. Couldn't take it. No, it was uh, too much. So, anyways, so no, I graduated from Ukiah High. Okay, okay. So after high school, you don't go to college. You go in the military. No. Pa, so yeah. So uh, my junior year, my friend Skip Spees goes, "Hey, uh, the Ar- uh, Army National Guard recruiter's been talking to me." I'm like, "Dude, we're like, we're juniors in high school." He goes, "Well, they got this really cool program. We could be a split option." I'm like, what do you mean split option? I was 17 years old at the time. He goes, well, your mom can sign a waiver and we'll go in the military together and we'll go to boot camp and AIT and all that together. I'm like, huh? Okay, sure. I was just, stuff was, you know, okay, sure, whatever. 
my mom signed the paperwork. She's like, sure, take them. <laughs> you know, that's my mom. Like, oh, yeah, great. So at 17 years old, uh, the military owned me. I signed a contract and I was owned by the United States. Uh, well, the federal government owned me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I'd go to drills and I was going to Hillsburg. And that summer after junior year, where all the other kids were out being kids, I was in Fort Leonard, Missouri uh, at uh, Alpha 610. And I did boot camp, regular army boot camp at 17 years old. 17. Yep. That's a great story. And then I graduated, came home, and I went back to my senior year in high school. I was still, I was still in, I split. Yeah, I was still in school. Everybody had a summer. I was in boot camp. How long was your boot camp? Eight weeks. Eight weeks. Okay. And well, so, was, it, was it hard? You know, I, the drill sergeant one day was in my face and he was yelling at me and I looked at him and me being who I was, I looked at him and said, you know what, drill sergeant, you know the difference between you and my father is? And he looked at me and he was right in my face. I said, you can't hit me. Well, I ended up doing a thousand push-ups and a thousand crunches or uh, hmm. leg kicks. I got smoked, as they would call it. Hmm. You know, push Missouri farther down south. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, actually, no, boot camp was really easy because um, it was actually easy for me because my dad used to come in my room with a white glove and check where that TV is uh, or that board up there. He'd check for dust and he'd find dust on his finger and he'd smack me. So uh, I was used to that type of discipline. You know, you had a sheet and yet in the military, when I was in, they gave me a sheet and your locker had to be dressed right dressed. The socks had to be rolled a certain way. And I, I, that was easy and I slept on top of my bunk with a sheet. I had these bungee cords that kept my my wool tight, and uh, it was it was literally easy for me. And the physical was that was effortless. Yeah. So <laughs> that's crazy. Okay, so that so was. Our, I came back. Yeah. Went back to high school. So this is a little caveat that's interesting. So I'm in high school, my senior year, going to training once a month. That uh, was down in Hillsburg, California. It's where my drill. I had a. You go down for uh, the weekend. That's what I was drilling. This is one one weekend a month. This one week a month. Yeah. Okay. They call them weekend warriors. Weekend warriors. Um, the earthquake of '89. Do you remember that in San Francisco? Maybe, but uh, no. so it was San Francisco Giants won the World Series and uh, they got the earthquake. So, anyways, I'm in class. I'm sitting there, and a uh, the principal walks in. He's got a piece of paper in his hand, and I'm like, "Oh crap! What I do?" Because I was kind of a troublemaker, doing little stuff, nothing mm -hmm. big, but just. And he goes, come with me, grab your books. So I walk in the hallway and he goes, hand this to me. He goes, here's your orders. He says, you've been activated. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, good luck, son, be safe. Okay. <laughs> so when you get activated, you get federal orders. You go activation for, you get activated. And so I got these orders that uh, I had to report to duty within an hour. Well, I got there when I got there, but, uh, and we went to Hamilton Air Base and we had to go help the victims of San Francisco with the big earthquake in 1989. Okay. I'm senior in high school <laughs> doing this and uh, didn't get to enjoy it because we just went down there for a week at Hamilton Air Force, Air Force Base and sat there and ate military food for a week and then got sent home. But it was kind of a cool little experience. Yeah. So. Okay. And then graduated high school and then I went to AIT, which is Advanced Individual Training, which is, you know, your training for the military when it, as a 31 Charlie, a rat rig operator, an AM radio operator, typed in a machine and send signal halfway around the world. And I, throughout my career in the military, made E5 by the time I was 21 years old. I was a, again, when I do things, I do it to this, I go all out. I Why? mean. Why? Why do you think that is? I don't know. I, I I can't answer that. I just you know once I enjoy something and I like it, I do it. 
and I go. But then you also, what I heard you say is maybe you get bored with something and then you stop. That is correct. Okay. I lose interest. I think it's pretty common with people though. I think I'm with you on that, but. I lose interest. And so, uh, and so, uh, but I went all out. I was going to, I mean, I, I, I had multiple jobs in the military. I mean, I, I went from a rat rig operator to a heavy equipment operator to a, a light vehicle, vehicle mechanic on Humvees to um, uh, 88 Mike, which was a truck driver because I had a class A. Um, and then at the end, all of a sudden we came to the drill one day and there's tanks on the yard and uh, or an APC carrier. And we're like, what's going on? It says, well, we just got attached to the uh, 40th mechanized, uh, 40th mechanized infantry out of uh, Texas. So then they transferred me from light vehicle wheel mechanic to track recovery, which is why I got this tattoo, M88. Boom. You know, and that's because M88 is a track recovery. I was a tow tank. So I towed M1 Abrahams and any other tanks around. That's what I did towards the end of my career. It's <laughs> awesome. So. Okay. So how long were you in the military? 11 oh, years. 11 years. Yeah. Uh, Army National Guard. So you Army know, National Guard, yeah. 11 years, but but you got full entitlement because full entitlement for Army National Guard is six years? It's four to six. Actually, I do not. Um, it's kind of, I don't have any, the only VA benefit that I have is my VA loan. So that's the only benefit that I have. I get no medical from the military. I get zero because you had to have one year active duty. And you never... I hit like nine months active, meaning total. It's, total. Yeah. You had to exceed the one year according to their... Um, yeah. So no, I, it's, trust me, it's, it's, I bang my head against the wall going, well, you know, why did I, I didn't know. And I, so I don't have lifetime medical. I have none of that, but I do have the VA because I was dishonorably discharged. So there you go. Yeah. Well, thanks for serving, man. Yes, absolutely. Appreciate that. So you get married. When does this all take place? During military, after military? Yeah. What's yeah. that look like? Yeah. I was 24 at the time. Met Tara. Um, you meet her. In Ukiah or Willits or Ukiah? Okay. I was I was a groundman at the city of Ukiah. So this is where I was uh, becoming a lineman. Okay. Uh, I was a groundman. Groundman is uh, the person that works on the ground, yep. running materials, parts, um, uh, take basically your baby sitting the lineman up in the pole. You know, they're screaming at you for parts, you know, hey, I need a double, I need insulinks and uh, a side-by-side -side and blah, blah, blah. And I need this and that. And you put it in a bucket and you're running it on a hand line. So you're just running back and forth, running parts up to the lineman. Probably in good shape too. Yeah. Oh, of course. I was, I was, uh, I was powerlifting at the time. So yeah, I was, uh, yeah. So when I, gra so let's back up a little bit. So when I was, when I graduated high school, well, I graduated boot camp. I was 142 pounds, about 3% body fat. It was really normal for Haiti kids to, there was not very many people that were, a lot of people were in shape, but for me, it was just natural and easy. I was literally three to 4% body fat. So real quick, so people get a context, how tall are you right now? What do you, what's your highest weight you've ever been? Highest weight, 240. And then how tall are you? 5'11". 5'11". So 240, you were pretty solid, but you weighed a hundred pounds more than when you were at 3% body fat. Where are you at today? Today, 210. And you feeling pretty solid? Mm, kind of. I've been a little lazy lately. Okay. All right. I think that's you being hard on yourself, but yeah. that's okay. That's who but, you are. So, but I, I, I always had this, uh, for me, because I was so skinny, um, I had this problem with, I'm tiny. And going back to being a CODA, being a child of deaf adults, I didn't know how to interact with people very well. Because hmm. I had deaf parents. 
and, and it's it's really hard for anybody to even understand what it's like to be a, a child of deaf adults. Um, I mean, all I could all I could say is there's a movie on Apple called Coda, and you got to watch that movie and really watch it from the beginning to the end, and you'll see what it's like being a Coda. It, it is, it's it's so many parts in that movie are so true, very accurate, spot on. I mean, you're you're it's an open. I mean, there's so many different scenes that I'm just totally relating to. And they are so dependent on you, the hearing person, because the world is now today in 2023. It's a little different. So being a coder of today, they they have video chat. Like Trevor's working with some clients of mine right now that uh, you know he could call them up and they could talk on the phone. And it's so much different today than it was when I was a child because I would my dad worked on trucks and he'd he'd order cams, manifolds, and carburetors for his truck. And back then it was called PAW, and I'd be on the phone eight years old and I'd be cussing at a guy on the phone for my father because he get sent him the wrong parts. That was me. And the guy would be laughing the other end. He goes, you're right, son. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. He <laughs> goes, you don't have to cuss. I says, well, my dad's reading my lips. If I don't cuss, he'll smack me. And he's like, oh, sorry about that. Because my dad was pissed at him, but my dad couldn't talk to him. There yeah. was no way to talk to him. Yeah. I had to do it. So you had to talk to me to talk to him. <laughs> and so, um, so as a child, growing up was very difficult for me. And I, I, I thought, and and my dad did this. My dad was a um, and I I did a lot of this. I thought to make friends, you had to be the center of attention. And so I did many things. Whereas that's a daredevil part in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was always pushing everything to the extreme and and being the class clown. To when it got into my motorcycles, it got into. It was you know I I've done barefoot water skiing. I used to wakeboard. Had a street bike. Used to scuba dive. Um, I bungee jumped. Uh, I just did a skydive just recently. And so it's, but I'm not that person today, but growing up, because I watched my father do this, I thought you had to be the center of attention to make friends. And what I found out as I got older, and it took me a long time to figure this out. People don't give a rip about the things you do. They just, they just like you for who you are. Man, that's right there. If we just took away anything, that's, that is it. It took me a long time to figure that out. I probably into my forties. I I me just too. really thought I had to always impress. So I was 142 pounds by the time I was 24 years old. I was 220 bench pressing, um, three fifteen seven times, 225 for 25 times, 405 for one, 365 for two, and I had a denim bench shirt. I bench pressed 505 in my life. So because again, I go to I do extreme. Hmm. And, you know, back then, I think the world record was like 800 or something, you know, bench press. So I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm only 300 pounds away. <laughs> you're going there. You're going to find a way. And then I hurt my shoulder and uh, then I quit. And again, because that's, I get hard, heavy, got into it, went balls to the wall and then uh, quit. So. Okay. I get you. <laughs> I mean, I can add in. I'm a guy. I struggle with the same thing, whether you know it or not, is... I get all excited about starting something on a weekend and, and then it, it starts to phase out, you know? So I totally get that. Well, Hey, walk us through, um, marrying Tara, you know, having kids. What are some of those lessons that you've learned along the way? What is marriage stat? Yeah. I'd be curious to hear, <laughs> you know, marriage is not easy. No. Uh, what has marriage taught you? What has being a dad taught you? And then, now being a grandpa, that's interesting. I don't see you. Yes, I know you have grandkids, but I don't 
So you feel higher as the grandpa. You're younger than me. I don't even have grandkids yet, but you're grandpa. I am. That's pretty cool. It is. Uh, well, back to the last line you said on there. When I was a young man, because of my life, I did not believe I, I used to, I literally used to preach this to people. I told us is I'm not going to live past 25. Um, because what is extreme today is totally different from the eighties. Um, I was the guy doing extreme. I used to race downhill mountain biking. You know, that was the beginning of it. Um, I used to mountain bike, uh, ra- ride, race mountain bikes. And so everything I did was always to the extreme, which was big back then. And I just always said that I- I'm going to live this, uh, crazy hard life. I was in the party and chasing women and I- I'm just going to be dead by the time I'm 25. It's just what I believed because, you know, my childhood was not good. So I'm just like, this is who I am. I met Tara when I was 17 years old, when Skip and I went in the military, her father was an army recruiter. So we kind of all hit it off. My oh, friend, Ron. Yeah, yeah. Ron. That's funny. So he was an army recruiter, regular army. And, and that's why I met Tara. Skip actually dated her, which is my buddy that I was a split option with. And, uh, but then, uh, they didn't work out. And then she, she had no interest in me all the way from 17. Uh, and, and I tried through the years. I, it was funny. I used to go out of her house. I used to look at Ron and go, I'm going to marry your daughter someday. And he would laugh. Ha, right. That's um, funny. It, very funny. Uh, at the time, now my wife is a military brat, traveled the United States for 20 years because they traveled all over. And so she had no interest in a person that was white. Huh. Okay. <laughs> so I, that's why it was a joke for me at the time, because I knew that she never had any interest in me at all. Zero. And at 24, when I was a groundman for the city of Akaya, she drove by again before cell phones. She goes, call me. So I'm like, okay. Then I'd go to the phone book, look up Mr. Ronald Johnson and, you know, call. She was living at home and, uh, and uh, she had Kayla. That's my oldest daughter. Yep. So my my oldest daughter is uh, is is her father's from Oakland, California, mm-hmm. and uh, he you know so my daughter's half black and and white because of, of Tara. So yeah. so she calls me, and it was weird. The first week was really really weird because she was actually because I've known her since seventeen. I'm twenty four, and to, to at that time in my life with her. She was like a sister to me because we just became really good friends and just knowing each other through the years, she was working out the gym. I'm doing my thing, living my life. But you know, my life was so crazy and I was chasing women and drinking and having a good old time working, you know, that was all part of it. But I never imagined that I would settle down hmm. because I thought it was going to be debitized you're, tw- you're dying. by 25 and here she steps in my life. I'm like, anyways, after that week, start dating and immediately she because this is who she is she is a caretaker she's a nurturer i've never had someone come in and come into my house and she was making me dinner and she'd come over in the morning and make me breakfast and just take care of me and i'm just like is this even for real i'm Mm. like whoa so in a way she swept me off my feet she swept you off your feet that's interesting And, and 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 here i'm the the player you know because when i was 18 i fell in love with this girl she left me for a youth minister 
And it, I, at that time, was going to go to, I think it was Oklahoma, to some youth ministry school to be a preacher with her or, or something like that. This is what, as I was in love with her. I was going to do whatever she wanted me to do. Yeah. Well, she broke my heart. She took, she had my car. She went to Sacramento. She went to this retreat. It was a Christian retreat thing. She came back and dumped me. And she married the guy that put it on. So my heart was broken. That hurts. And so that was at 18. So pretty much from 18 to 24, I just hated women. Hated women, not meaning I loved women for one thing, but I didn't, I had no interest in being any more than that because I was hurt so bad. Yeah. And then here comes this woman tearing my life of, of just caring and nurturing and loving a, a, a true, genuine, real woman that unconditionally hmm. wanted to just love me from mm -hmm. the day one. Yeah. And it just, it, it just swept me off my feet. So then uh, we get married. That's I, start, I became a lineman, got married. We had Kayla because she was three years old. So I remember at the in uh, Piercy, California, where we got married at. I remember when I married Tara, I got a necklace for Kay Kayla, and I, I bent over and I gave it to her and I put it on her and I said, says, I'm marrying your mother, but you're also part of this marriage too. Yeah, says, yeah. we are one. And still to this day, my daughter's 28 years old and she remembers that moment. That's sweet. That was real special to her because... Wow. Because, you know, all she wanted was a father. That's right. You know, unfortunately, her father, her biological father, was not part of her life. And we never said he couldn't be around. He lived in Oakland, but he he just chose not to be. So I became father. He became stepdad. She actually would call him Lawrence, and she'd call me. I was father. There was never a stepdad in this, this yeah. scenario growing up. Yeah. That's great. And then we bought our house in Ukiah, and then Mariah came around. Mariah was 10 pounds. She's solid, man. Oh, at, at, at eight months, my wife at that time had a 14 person daycare or 14 child daycare. And Mariah at eight months old was sitting at the table, banging the table, feed me and talking. And at eight months old, just this, just this something just out of this world. That's great. I mean, then uh, Sierra came. So then, of course, I had three daughters. And, you know, <laughs> one, Growing up the way that I grew up, it was really hard. And my wife always tells me, you know, the reason you had girls is because you probably would have been really mean to the boys mm. because of your childhood. So girls softened you up a little bit. They did. They did. I, I can see our similarities in so many ways. I'm not going to go into it, but yeah. God also gave me daughters too because, yeah. Because they, uh, I mean, I would still be hard. I'd still raise my voice. I would still do what I had to do, but... Uh, over the years, they just, they, they softened me. They, uh, they, they have molded me to who I am today. And then, um, Kayla, uh, met this man and, uh, she moved out with him and then she had Isaiah and then, uh, and then two years later she had Micah and then she separated from him and then she came home. And then, um, and then about a year and a half ago, she had Helena. <laughs> Sweet man, <laughs> so you got a tribe, man. I do, and uh, you know, having three grandkids is is uh, you know, I it's funny. I I still don't, I still don't. I'm not. Um, I guess I haven't really accept the fact that I'm a grandfather. Okay, today. Yeah. 
even though I have an eight-year-old, six-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old and two in the belly, um, it's been, uh, it's just, I don't know, just going back to, I'm supposed to be dead by 25, 26 years later. <laughs> still writing that story. I'm still writing that story. And uh, So embracing being a, a, a grandfather, a grand, uh, grandpa or grandfather? Well, they call me Pop. Pop. Okay. But you're a Pop. I'm a Pop. Yeah. Embrace that, man. Yes, exactly. But that's changed your life, though. That's even, you know, having kids is one thing, and then having grandkids, that's another level. And how's that softened you up a little bit? It softens you. Well, it's the blessing is, is, uh, I, because I was so hard growing up or, or raising my own children, now it's like when they come over, I could just like, oh, here, have some candy. Have, yep. Spoil the crap out of them, send them Bob, home. Can I have a soda? Sure. Go ahead. And uh, so it's it's really helping me lighten up being, you know, you know, there's a book called uh, Drill Sergeants and Helicopters. You know, I'm the drill sergeant. My wife's a helicopter. She's always hovering. Oh, 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 here, here's your lunchbox. Here, here, let me help you get in the vehicle. Or I'm like, get your butt in the car now. Whoa. You know, yeah. and so I'm, there's a book on it. It's called Drill Sergeants and Helicopters. My wife was always hovering and where I was just, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> no way, you know. And so... um and I'm still that way when it comes, you know, when the kids fall down, you know, the mo- the women want to, at least in my household, they're like, oh, and I'm like, whatever. Nope. I'm like, yeah, I'm <laughs> same here. <laughs> so, it's part of the process, man. It, there, it is. It is. The pain. They have to, you have to endure the pain. And I've endured a lot of pain. I've endured a lot of pain over the years in many different aspects of my life. Hmm. That's a great story for you to unfold and really share, because I know you're a private guy, Phil. You and I have been meeting for breakfast for, well, for 12 years. We became good friends. We, I would call us business partners, uh, karate. Uh, we used to fight each other. Beat the crap out of each other. Uh, and we, we that was funny. Like, I don't know, but I, think, I mean, we, we're great friends. I would yes. call you a great friend. So uh, you're good for me. I'm good for you. At least and I just, hope. Just so you know, buddy, I, I have a very small circle of people that I confide in. Yeah. And I mean, it's less than one hand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I know, I mean, you look at my cell phone, I got thousands of contacts because I'm in the business of real estate, right? Yep. And I've yep. done, I do a lot of transactions and I work with a lot of people, but I only have a handful of people that I actually confide in and you're one of them. And in reality, that probably is true with almost everybody. We just don't know it. We have all these relationships, but from a, maybe a military perspective, who's in your bunker? Who really has your back? Right. That's 100% and, true. And that's... Who's your battle buddy? That's yep. what that's what I was trained. Who's your battle buddy? You Ooh. know, when you're in that foxhole, if you fall asleep, are they going to stay awake to protect you and vice versa? Yeah. Who's your battle buddy? When you get shot, is he going to take care of you or leave you and abandon mm-hmm. you and take off? Yeah. Who's your battle buddy? Hmm. Well, what does, uh, what, what does real estate look like right now? We'll just talk about maybe real estate for a moment. And now that you and Tara are empty nesters, you guys are in a new phase of uh, writing. Another chapter of our story. Yeah, another chapter of your story. Uh, what, what does that look like? You know, because uh, you're an all-in real estate guy. I mean, you do a phenomenal job. People love working with you, whether you know it or not, because you, you'll look at all the things you don't do to a perfect level. But most people would say, no, Phil Hired does a phenomenal job. I think you're finally getting that, that you actually do a great job. But how does real estate look for you right now in your season? Where do you want it to be in 10 years? 
uh, how are you and Tara writing this chapter of your life together? What's that look like? Well, real estate today, I, I've been blessed. I mean, I, I just talked to a colleague of mine the other day, and he has not closed a deal since October of last year. I guess I just, I have not realized, you know, how many people are not working. Um, my colleague in my office always likes to pull the numbers up, and there's, what, 4,000 real estate agents in the Willamette Valley. Um, there's about 1,000 of us that are active, and I'm in the top 100 pretty awesome. And I don't know how or why. I don't, you know, there's no magic pill. I'm just still working, doing my thing. But um, it's, uh, you know, to be in the top 100, I suppose, I, I don't, doesn't mean anything to me. I really don't care. I just keep working, moving forward. Um, but it's been great for me. You know, as I just, I, I, I rent an office space. You know, I've done both. I've worked from home. Um, I've made money from home. I've made great money from home. Um, and then I just like to be able to get up, get going, go to my office. And I feel the office is, uh, is a, is a lost, I think for a lot of people, if you don't have a place to go and that, you know, I think of those 3000 agents that are, that are not doing business, that's probably part of the problem because the model of real estate is really being, Oh, just work from home. Just mm. work, you know, work from your, work from the bowling alley, work from the, uh, uh, you know, work from a coffee shop. And it's like, that's, I, I hated all that. I, I hated that. I like it that I have an office, place I show up, I lock the door on the way out. And, uh, you know, I still have a home office because mm -hmm. there's times where like well, I had to babysit the dogs, you know? So, yep. right. The, so I work from home and then, so, you know, right now is a great time to buy in my opinion, because, uh, you know, uh, in 2020 and 21 in the early 2022, you couldn't get what you wanted. You had to overpay for it. Yeah, sure. Interest rates are at two and three percent. So what? Today, there's actually some inventory out there, and you actually get to to pick your home, the one you actually want, and negotiate with the seller. And yeah, you're going to pay more money for it today. But what will happen in time? Interest rates will fall, and you can refinance and be in a better place. So, um, and that's you know that's how I feel about it. And people still have to buy and sell homes. You know that doesn't change. And no matter what the economy is. So, um, second question. What's this new chapter for you and Tara look like now that you're empty nesters and, and what, and what do you guys do? You guys do some inter entertainment stuff. I like to. Yeah. So, so I, <laughs> I've always been, so when I was a journeyman lineman in any, any job that I've ever done, I always worked. And when I used, for example, I worked for the city of Ukiah electric department. So they, you know, the first year you get two weeks and I was there, uh, 10 years or so. I mean, I already worked up like five weeks a year vacation. So, so what I, my idea of vacation was come home and work on my pro I had three acres in Northern California. Mm -hmm. So I'd come home and work on the property. That was vacation for me. So my family suffered because of that, you know, so Tara got to do a lot. She'd do trips up to here because my father-in-law lived up here and her sister, where I would just work. That's just, that was probably, that's one of my, that's my weakness. You know, it's like, oh, you need to work. You need to do this. Don't enjoy yourself. So 2020, 2020, August, Mariah has been begging me for years to go down to the beach to go ride four-wheelers. And I've always make an excuse. I can't, got to work. I'm busy, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, long story short, go down there. I ride a, I haven't rode motorcycles. I used to ride dirt bikes too. I haven't rode a motorcycle, anything. I've never rode a quad on the sand in my life. Uh, uh, 
and, and or a motorcycle with a paddle tire on the sand. Never rode one before in my life. I've been on dirt. I've done mini enduro trails, enduro runs, things like that. But that was 25 years ago. Show up there, get on this thing. It's like riding a bike. Hmm. You know, Craig, which is my uh, dot Mariah's father-in-law now, Ashton's father. He he's just he could not. I was I I I have that natural ability. I got in this thing, and Craig's been riding for 30 years. Ashton Cameron have been riding since they were born, and Mariah's been riding for almost two years now. And I show up the first day, and I'm just going psycho on it. Having a, I'm riding a 700 Raptor, which is you know the one of the <laughs> fastest fastest production it's bikes. Death. It is, and it's tuned up, and and I'm just riding it like I don't have enough horsepower. So I'm, I want more. This is nothing, and we're going, and I'm riding these boats, just just having a blast. So, so I end up, you know, I, I for years just drove my little Volkswagen cars and that, and then I ended up like, okay, honey, now we're empty nesters. What are we gonna do? So we buy a trailer, nice travel trailer. We buy a truck. I got a big three fifty thirty five hundred Ram pickup. I go buy my own seven hundred Raptor. And we now go to the Odd Fellows that became an Odd Fellows. That's all I can share about that. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, but I go to this place, and we have private access. And uh, for almost two years now, and this is all new for me, I go down for a week, except last year. Got or No, this year because of all the weddings. I still snuck down there for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. But now I go down for three weeks a year, and and my wife is fine with being in a trailer. And I go enjoy a week down there at Florence is where we go, and yeah. I ride the beach. yeah. And so that's all new for me and for my wife. And she's ecstatic because, again, I don't do vacations. So she finally has something that Phil will go do and she enjoys it. So the next step is, is I'm going to get a toy hauler, sell my travel trailer, and I'm going to get a side-by-side because my wife has been on the beach, but, you know, she will not ride. But I want her to be able to ride with me Mm. and enjoy the ride because a lot of the couples do that down there. You know, some have their own side by sides, but she never wants to drive. She just wants me to take her out. You know, okay, let's go out to the beach and watch the sunset. Mm -hmm. I can't do that with my 700. (laughs) Hop on. Yeah, she won't do that. So um, that's been kind of the new thing. And and we took, uh, my daughter got married up in uh, Walla Walla, not Walla Walla, um, Walla. So it was on a ranch. So I took the trailer up there. Yeah. So took the trailer up there and stayed in it while setting that up. We drove the trailer down to California and my other daughter got married. So it's just like we're 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 living differently than we ever have before. How cool is that? I just never thought I would do it because. And is your wife happier? Much happier. Okay. Because you know, she, you know, she's with me. She's holding my hand. We're driving together. We're talking. We now have our new additions, our dapple dachshunds, mm. <laughs> our new children. Well, you softened up a lot, man. I tell you, <laughs> I have. Us guys, we we're pretty hard wired. We're hard. You know, whether it's hard workers, focused, and it takes a long time to soften up a guy. And I, I can see it's working. It's being vulnerable, and and uh, and and you know, I still I'm still a private person. I still have my defenses up. I still, but it's it's and, and accepting the world as it is. You know, because we're we're in an interesting time today, and and. There's a lot going on in this world, you know, United States, the world and everything going on. You know, you can get into politics, you could get into the the economy, you know, it's yeah. that that's a whole but it's just just kind of accepting it for what it is and being okay with it because you know, I mean, sure I could beat my chest and get crazy and lose my mind over, it, but there's there's no point in it. Yeah. Yeah. I've just I've just let it go. Yeah. How has uh 
you know, you and I have talked a lot about God over time, and you've had your own version of what you think and stuff. You know, you can talk a little bit about Odd Fellows. I would like to hear more about that. And but how's your wife influenced you? And I know that your daughter Mariah and her new husband talk about what they did before they got married. I think that was really a cool story. That I, I know that God's working. He's working in my life. And he's working in your life. What does that What does that mean? What's so first, first and foremost, uh, I I've been. God has been an ad in my life, I guess you would say, or or religion or church. Uh, I mean, my mom was Seventh-day Adventist. I just found something out just last week. I'm 51 years old. I My dad was a uh, devouted uh, atheist. He told me that. That's all I ever know my dad is, an atheist. I just found out from my brother before I was born. He was hardcore Seventh-day Adventist. Even for Saturdays, he took off. He wouldn't do anything. And that's how we li- they lived their life at this segment of time. Again, that's where I get that hardcore. He goes, balls the wall, all out, and he does something. And so, but something must have happened with the church because I did not know that my dad had a belief in anything. He always told me he was an atheist. So that was an interesting chapter in my life. I'm agnostic. I think that's the right word, right? So I, I... I believe in a higher power. I struggle to believe that there is one type of religion that we all have to follow and pursue because I love and honor and respect all people. And I know so many different peoples from different backgrounds. And I and that's that's how I personally feel that I struggle to know that, you know, there's only one religion, one word, one God. Or again, it's not I, I know that there's something bigger than me. What is it? That I can't answer. Um, I also learned something just when Mariah, so what Mariah did, you're back to that and I can put two, two. So Mariah, right before she got married, or they, you know, she got married on um, a Saturday or the the fifth, on the fourth, there's a river and OJ, which is my wife's brother-in-law. Um, wife's brother. Wife's brother, correct. Your he, yeah. he baptized Mariah in the river. And Craig, uh, Ashton's father, which is my daughter's husband now, baptized his son. And that was like a big deal because, you know, m- my wife's side of the family is strong Baptist. They have strong Christian values, uh, really big. And, and so this was like, that was a big deal for them. And I didn't even know what was happening. We just said, we're going to the river. I'm like, okay. okay. Which is on the property that where we got married. So, uh, but then <laughs> it's funny you say that OJ, which has been to Israel twice, uh, went to, uh, that big Christian university in Southern California, uh, big one. It's, they, they have Bibles. I mean, Maverick, I can't remember the name. Anyways. Master's college. Thank you. Master's college. Yep. Is that Christian? John MacArthur. Yep. John MacArthur. He's been, he went to school there for four years. He taught in a Christian school. So, I mean, he has a very diverse, strong Christian background. And anyways, him and Cassie. I uh, just found out, have, uh, and they know where I stand and know how I am. They know how Tara is, but they look up to Tara and I okay. because they have their struggles. Because we all do. No, everybody has their struggles in their marriage. What? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> and 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 I didn't know that. And he told her again. He goes, they they are just blown away that we need, we've been able to go twenty three years, and to be where we're at today. And to love each other unconditionally and to be happy and smiling and laughing, 
where, you know, they're strong, they're devoted, they read the Bible, they're going to church, and they have all these things going on in their life, and they go, well, but there's Phil and Tara, and they're just moving, moving forward. How the heck are they doing it? And so I didn't know they looked up to me. I never knew that. And I'm mm. like, wouldn't you look up to me? I look up to OJ because there's two people that I know that if, if, if I was to go, who's a true Christian? In my, in my opinion, it's OJ Johnson and Buddy Puckett. Mm. Because you, you could die today and be good with what you've done with your life. OJ's the same way. OJ's like, if I died right now, it's okay. I know where I'm going. I feel a lot of Christians are hypocritical. And they're worried about so many things, stupid things. It's like, you know what? Why don't you read your Bible? Why don't you believe in God? And if you die, you're going to go to heaven. Stop worrying about the worldly things. I struggle with that. It, I have a good friend that been saved, blah, blah, blah. And he has all these pressures of the world. And I'm like, dude, who cares? <laughs> who cares? So um, anyways, it was just uh, amazing that uh, that OJ and Cassie actually look up to Tara and I, which I, mm. I've never known that. So it's pretty cool. Well, you know, and these these worldly struggles, I deal with them every day too. I'm I'm a human being as anybody, right? And whether you know it or not, I struggle with worldly temptations, of course, all. And uh, yeah, I'm working out my salvation daily, trying to follow God and Jesus, and doing what's right. And I fall short literally every day. So. I'm a hypocrite too, Phil. I have to admit, you know, and not in my eyes. Uh, ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Get the truth. Ask my wife. But uh, but that's okay because Jesus covers my sin, thankfully, right. and and that's my belief. And but I always appreciate you and I have great conversation. It doesn't change how I view you or anybody how they believe. Is you have the right to believe however you want. But I will keep praying, right, right until I die. Well, you and OJ have both told me, and you've said the exact same things. Phil, you're more Christian than most Christians that I know. You told me that years ago. I don't know if you remember that conversation. And I, I remember that. That that does touch my heart. I'm like, I don't even follow those values, but I, I but I do follow. That's what OJ was telling me. Because mm. Phil, you don't even realize how many values you do follow in Christianity or or into a religion. It says you live it and preach it every day, but you know, it says, yes, you're not devoted, you're not going to church, you're not reading the Bible. He goes, but you have all these characteristics, I guess you would say. And and maybe because it's been ingrained in me growing up as a young kid, I did get it at, you know, seven day Adventist, you know, whatever. But uh I, I do generally believe that you need to be good to all people and you need to honor people and respect people. So and what is that kind of what scripture talks about? Is you know, <laughs> love love God and love others. Yeah. Love God, love others. Right. Right. That's really the two greatest commandments. There, there's lots of other things we can right. do. But if we can get if we could just focus on love God, love others more than we love ourselves, and respect people and honor people, that's really all of it. You're actually doing exactly what Jesus asked. And I think a lot of times we actually, as Christians, we can be judgmental instead of loving like we're supposed to. Look at what so-and-so did. Oh, my gosh. But yet, we're trying to worry about the speck in someone else's eye, not worrying about the plank in our own eye. That's the hypocrisy of the Christian churches, is I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm a human on this planet. I'm just like you, and you're like me. We bleed red. We bleed red. So, well, hey, um, this has been really good. And I, I know most of your story. But I still love you sharing it because it's important 
for people to get to know who Phil Hire is, the real Phil Hire, who actually does care. I do. You absolutely, absolutely do. And, and even though I come across hard and, and early in my career, uh, I would get upset with people and raise my voice and and I've just learned to uh, back off, suck it up, shut up, listen, let them uh, vent. I get emails from people and right, right, right. and I, I don't respond anymore. I've just learned to, it's their issue. It's their issue. And, and I just back off and we'll get through it. And really learning how to forgive ourselves. You know, I don't know what you've done. I only remember what I do that's wrong and sometimes not forgiving myself. You know what? Nobody really remembers anyway what I do, what I don't do. It's not really about me anyway. It's not about Phil Hire anyway. But it is how you love your wife. It is how you love your kids. It's how you love people. Right. So, well, hey, is there any last little bits of advice you want to share uh, from an early morning routine to, you know, growing older, letting down your guard a little bit, letting people in? Is there any last things you want to just share? Probably being more, uh, more vulnerable in a way. Um, saying less, listen more. I, uh, I tend to still do that, but it's, I'm getting better. And, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm 51 now and it's, what I'm seeing is, is we have to keep moving. Our bodies were not designed to be sediment to sit to, uh, you know, if you're sitting in a desk, get a stand-up desk. I have a stand-up desk. I stand all day, every day. Maybe at the end of the day after, if I'm in there all day, I'll sit down for an hour. That is it. Hmm. Um, but, you know, at, you know, invest in yourself because if you don't invest in yourself and take care of yourself, you know, thinking that you could go to the doctor and get a pill and you want to continue, you know, you have diabetes and you want to continue to take a pill and still eat the bad food, that's not changing anything. And, and that's, that's all that's doing is just prolonging the, in the inevitable, you know, once you try to eat better and, you know, the pills from the doctor are, in my opinion, not supposed to be the lifelong drug. They're to help you to get off those, uh, to, to cope with those issues, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, it's, it's, it's moving, exercise, doing things, you know, invest in yourself in health. Uh, don't expect your insurance company to take care of you. Take care of yourself. It's okay to spend money on things that, that cost money. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's where I'm at in my life today and, yeah. and still moving forward. Hmm. Yeah. One thing I know about you, Phil, is while nobody's perfect, you've, you've tried hard to be healthy, working out, eating well, cold plunging, morning routine. I'd be curious, and maybe it's another podcast at some time down the road, but, you know, the greatest addiction out there is not drugs and alcohol and this, it's actually sugar. Yeah. <laughs> Drive by a Dutch Bros, a Java Crew, a Starbucks, and I'm one of those guys that it's just familiar. It's a habit. And I'm just as guilty. I that's that's my nemesis. That's that is that is my devil. You know, you you look at my tattoos, right? Yeah. You know, I have a Capricorn. You know, that's uh that was because when my mother died, um, she used to read the horoscope with me every single week. Even though she's a religious woman, she'd still read it because yeah. it was fun. And a true Capricorn is half fish, half goat. Go the deepest part of the sea, go the highest part of the mountain, which is how I live my life. 
Hmm. The other tattoo is my life is balanced, but I have Adam the Archangel and I have a devil. My life is a struggle. Yeah. Every single day, if you look at my tattoo, which you could see, yeah. what are they doing? They're pulling on that staff every single day, back and forth. And, you know, there's days that <laughs> the devil in me wants to come out. Mm-hmm. And that would be where, even like last night, I kind of, my wife bought Halloween candy. Why? I don't know. She normally never buys anything bad. There's Halloween candy. I ate one chocolate. I ate two. I ate seven. I'm like, I'm done. I put it away and I walked away. Because I could sit, I could eat the whole darn thing Me. because it is bad for you. And I feel like crap afterwards. So, yes, go. sugar, absolutely. Okay. Phil, thanks for being a great friend. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for all of you that listened uh, this this week, you know, listen to Phil's story. Uh, Phil, somebody want to reach out to you and talk real estate, talk health, talk cold plunging. How do you want people to contact you to go and have a conversation with you? Uh, they could, I, I prefer email, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, or a phone call. What's so your, what's your email? Email is Phil, P-H-I-L, at my last name, hire, H-Y-R-E-N-W dot com. So Phil at com, Or you could call me at 503-586-8537. Awesome. Hey, reach out to Phil. He's a great guy. He's a great friend. He'll tell you this, the true story. So he'll never uh, dance around a question. He'll tell you exactly what you need to hear. So Phil, appreciate you, man. And again, to all you guests that listen each week, we appreciate you. If you know if somebody wants to be on the podcast that has a great story, please have them get in touch with me and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much.